I just earned lots of brownie points right there. <laughs> I know she didn't want the sweaty ones, so I, I kind of didn't do that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them and open them up to, uh, to Acts chapter 4 this morning. You'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, then you get to Acts. And we're going to be, in just a minute, looking at Acts chapter 4. So go ahead and uh, take your Bibles and open up there. Really interesting, I was doing some research this week on the, uh, the history of the selfie. And the first selfie was taken by a guy named Robert Cornelius back in 1839. Now, the process for him doing that was a little more complicated than it is for us today. He had to take the lens cap off the camera, run around, sit in the chair, try to remain as motionless as he could for 15 minutes, and then jump up out of that chair, come around and put the lens cap back on. And this is the result that he got from that. Now it's a little easier for us to take a selfie today. Nate even brought his selfie stick with him this morning so that he could, uh, he could be able to do that while he's sitting in church this morning, I think. So it's a lot easier now that we have cell phones that have cameras in them, and and we see these selfies all over the place. I think it was in 2013 that the word selfie actually was added to the Oxford English Dictionary, and it was also the word of the year that year, not surprisingly, and we've come a long way even from 2013, haven't we? I I was looking this week, and I went on Instagram, and I searched for the hashtag selfie, And it came back with over half a billion, half a billion with a B hits of people that had posted something and put a hashtag of selfie on there. And I think that's just one one evidence of how self-absorbed that we've become as a culture, right? We could see a whole lot of other things out there that that show this very same thing, but that might be one of the best of them. And unfortunately, what happens sometimes is that that self-focus can even slip into our relationship with God sometimes. You know, sometimes we begin to think that that our relationship with God is all about what I can get out of that relationship. What can God give me? Instead of focusing on what can I do for God or how can I live my life in accordance with God's principles. If you doubt that, let me give you just one illustration. Two of my favorite books, ones I have in my library, ones that I've read over and over, are first of all a book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer, and another book called Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. You've heard me talk about that book a lot before. Knowing God has sold about a million copies, a little over a million copies roughly. I couldn't find the exact statistics for Knowledge of the Holy, but from everything I could read, probably less than a million books it sold. On the other hand, there's a book out there that's called Your Best Life Now that has sold over 100 million copies. So just think about that. A book that focuses on knowing God and who He is and how we can tune our lives in so they're consistent with what He wants is outsold by a book that's all about me and my life by about 100 to 1. And I think that's just one of, one of many, like I say, illustrations of how that is. And that just shouldn't be the case, should it? Our, our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ are not to be about what's in it for me. They're about to be, what can I do to live my life in a way that's consistent 
with God. And don't just take my word for it. Jesus said the same thing. Here's what Jesus said. This is probably a familiar passage to you in Luke chapter 9. He said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So instead of saying that we should indulge ourselves, he says that we should deny ourselves. And he says that we should put ourselves to death. He talks about the cross there. And for us today, sometimes the cross is a, a shiny piece of jewelry or sometimes it's a wall decoration. We have crosses in our church. But to the people of Jesus' day, the cross was an instrument of death. And what he's saying there is that you need to put self to death if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, that's not a message that's real popular in our culture today, as you might expect. So over the next four weeks, Ryan and I are going to share a series of four different messages that are going to focus on four areas of our life where we need to be more selfless rather than selfish. This morning, we're going to talk about how we need to be bold in our witness for Jesus Christ. Next week, we'll talk about how to be faithful in service. The third week, we'll be talking about how to be extravagant in our generosity. And finally, in the fourth week, we'll be talking about how to be grateful even in the midst of the grind that we go through in life. And these are four areas where we want to make sure that, that, that we're not so focused on us, but we're focused on God and who He is and what He has for our lives. So we're going to see this morning the example of two men that did that, Peter and John, here in, in Acts chapter 4. Before I read that, let me give you just a little bit of a background. If you look in Acts chapter 3, you'll find that Peter and John, they heal this man who's been lame from birth. And then, as you can imagine, this guy's pretty excited about being able to walk again now, right? So he's up and he's jumping around and he's, he's uh, praising God. And, of course, that draws a crowd in. So Peter thinks, hey, now i got a captive audience here, so what does he do? He begins to preach the gospel. And as he preaches the gospel, he upsets some of the Jewish leaders. And that's where we're going to pick up the account this morning now in Acts chapter 4. So I'll be reading from verse 1. You can go ahead and uh, follow along your Bibles. And they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in, in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were on the high priest family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the building which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no 
other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Wow. Pretty amazing, right? You know, we're talking this morning about boldness and being a witness, and I think there's a lot of reasons that we struggle with that, but really they all kind of come down to fear of some kind. Maybe fear of not having all the right answers. Maybe fear of what other people will think about us. Maybe fear of, of the fact that somebody might reject the gospel. But for Peter and John, they had this great boldness. And here's what I think the key to their boldness was. And that is this, that we speak boldly when we, about what we believe deeply. We speak boldly about what we believe deeply. Let me share with you an example from my own life. Um, I've been a Chicago Cubs fan for all my life. And for a long time, that wasn't something that you went around bragging about a whole lot, right? But I stuck with the Cubs, and, and we were fortunate enough in our family to have a family member who worked for the Cubs for a while, and sometimes we'd go back to Chicago and we'd get tickets to go watch the Cubs in, in Wrigley Field, but, you know, they were still kind of the lovable losers. And then we got to 2016. And these guys were actually good for a change. And so I, I began to watch some of their games. And, and uh, I knew who the players were and all those kind of things. And I would begin to talk to other people about how great the Cubs were doing. I hadn't been able to do that my whole life, you know. So I talked to them, and they finally win the World Series. And I was bold about talking about the Cubs because they had done so well. Now, fast forward to this year. Not quite so much, right? By the middle of the season, it was pretty apparent that they weren't going anywhere, so they basically traded away all their players from back in 2016 when they won the World Series. I don't think I watched a game all year. The second half of the year, I couldn't tell you who 90% of their starting players were anymore because they had all these guys that I'd never heard of before. And so, so I wasn't quite as bold because I, I didn't believe nearly as deeply in them. And I think the same thing is true when it comes to our faith in Jesus Christ and sharing our faith with other people. If we really believe deeply in Jesus, if we really love other people profoundly, then we can't help but be bold in our witness for Jesus. And so this morning, I want to take a look at this passage and see what we can learn how to be a bold witness for Jesus. And here's some things that we can learn 
from Peter and from John in this passage. Here's the first thing that we have to do. We have to spend time with Jesus. It's really interesting. Like I said earlier, I think a lot of times we're afraid to to share our witness about Jesus because we're afraid that we don't know everything. And so we figure, well, I'm just going to leave all the the bold witness off to these people that have seminary degrees, you know, or I'll leave it to my pastor or to the elders or to someone else. But look look at this passage. They come before these these religious leaders here, and they're really bold, but the, the religious leaders look at them and go, these guys, they're just uneducated, common people. They didn't have any seminary degree they didn't have the religious training that all these other religious leaders had that they were standing before but they were bold in their faith because they believed in Jesus but here's what they said about it they said they're uneducated they're common men but they they were astonished because they knew they had been with Jesus now if we want to be bold in our witness we have to do the same thing we have to spend time with Jesus Now, obviously, we're not going to be able to do like John and Peter and and the other disciples who spent three years of their life with Jesus. But guess what? We can spend time with Jesus every day. We can do it in His Word. We can do it through prayer. We can do it when we gather together with other people who love Jesus deeply, too, and believe in Him. And as we do that, we begin to understand who Jesus is. We develop our confidence in Him and who He is. It's really interesting here, the word that's translated common there when he talks about them being common man, it's the Greek word that we get our word idiot from in English. So what he's really saying here is that God is in the business of using idiots who believe deeply in Jesus. So that means all of us can fit into that, right? It means we're all capable of doing it, but we have to spend that time with Jesus. Second thing we see here is that I have to depend on the Holy Spirit. It says here that when Peter got up to speak before them, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit gave him the words, it gave him the courage, it gave him the boldness to speak. And this is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. Earlier on in his ministry, here's what he had said about what would happen when they came before the religious leaders. He says, and when they bring you, Before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, that's exactly what's going on here. Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now we've talked about this a lot before. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit is dwelling permanently in your life. And you have the ability to tap into that guidance and that leadership when you get into these situations where you have an opportunity to be a bold witness for Jesus. The Holy Spirit is there for you. And I can't tell you exactly how to tap into that. I can't give you some formula. I can't give you, you know, three steps to tapping into the Holy Spirit. But, but here's what I've found is really useful. When I'm getting in those situations, when I have an opportunity to share with someone about Jesus, I just real quickly in my mind say, Holy Spirit, would you guide me? And I can't tell you the number of times that when I've done that, I'm amazed at the words that end up coming out of my mouth. Because they aren't anything that I would have ever thought to say. And I, I believe that if we'll do that, that the Holy Spirit will guide us. He'll help us to be those bold witnesses. 
Third thing that we need to do, we need to pray for boldness. We need to pray for boldness. There's examples of this all throughout the New Testament where the disciples would actually pray, God, give me boldness to share faith. Matter of fact, there's one at the end of this chapter when you get to verse 29 of chapter 4 of Acts. Peter and John are back with the rest of the disciples and they they all gather together. And here's what it says that, that occurs here. It says, they say this, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So they prayed for boldness. I mean, these guys that already were bold. They're praying for even more boldness. Think about Paul. I mean, Paul, I don't know about you, but I would think Paul as being a pretty bold guy, right? I mean, he goes around starting churches all over the place. In Ephesians chapter 6, after the the section on praying about the armor of God, he asks the people of the church there in Ephesus to pray for him. Here's what he asks. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and here's the important part, and also for me, that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems to me that if people like Peter and John and Paul, they needed to pray for boldness, that probably that would be a good idea for us too. Would you agree with that? That's something we can do right. The next thing that we have to do is that we have to testify to what I know for certain. I have to testify to what I know for certain. And there are some things that we need to know for certain. Matter of fact, they're they're really, they're the building blocks of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you're a genuine disciple, you ought to already know these things for certain. And we're going to see a couple of them here in this passage. But I want to look for a minute before we do that at verse 20 again. And here's what it says there. It says, for we cannot speak of what we, but speak of what we have seen and heard. That's all they did. That's all they had to do. They had to speak of what they had seen and heard. They weren't afraid of what they didn't know. They just shared what they did know. And I think we can do the same thing, can't we? All of us know something about Jesus. You have to do that in order to become his disciple. You don't have to be a seminary student. You don't have to go to Bible college to know these things. They're things that all of us should know. And they get up here before this Sanhedrin, this council that's like the kind of like the Supreme Court of Israel. And here's what they testified to two things that they were certain of that we can see in this passage. The first thing is they testified to the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. Now, Peter doesn't pull any punches here. He turns around to the Sanhedrin and he says, you guys are the ones that crucified Jesus Christ. But he doesn't stay there. He says, but God has raised him from the dead. He focused on the fact that Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. The second thing that they knew for certain that they shared was that Jesus is the only way to God. I know a lot of you have probably heard some stuff like this. Uh, We've talked about this before, you know. Someone will come to you and go, that's great that you love Jesus and that He's in your life, and I'm I'm glad that that's good for you, but it's just not for me, right? Have you ever heard somebody say something like that? Or how about this one? 
you know, I'm glad that you know Jesus, but I think there's a lot of different ways to God. And as long as I believe sincerely in whatever God that I'm believing in, that's, that's good enough. But Peter says, no. He says, there's only one name under heaven by which men must, must be saved, and that's the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. One way. And I can't help but think that Peter, as he uttered those words, was thinking back to the time that they had with Jesus, right before Jesus went to the cross. And Jesus uttered those words that I think are very familiar to all of us in John chapter 14. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There, there's no one comes to the Father except through me, no one. There's not a lot of ambiguity there, is there? So when we have the opportunity to, to share the gospel with someone, to be bold in our witness, those are the two things we need to keep our focus on. The fact that Jesus is risen from the dead and the fact that He's the only way to God. And what usually happens when we're trying to do that is the other person is trying to take us off on all these rabbit trails, right? Because Satan is trying to keep them from understanding the gospel and putting their faith in Jesus. And my job, my, my goal ought to be to to make sure that I'm keeping my focus on those two things and not, not allowing all these other rabbit trails to kind of take us away. I find it's usually helpful to do something like this. Someone will bring something up, maybe, I don't know, whatever it might be. They try to take you off there and I'll say, you know, that's a really good, that's a really good conversation. Let's have that conversation sometime. But right now, I want you to understand about the importance of having a relationship with Jesus Christ in your own life. And so we stay focused on those things that we know. Finally, we need to seek the approval of God and not the approval of man. That's the main difference between these religious leaders and Peter and John. The religious leaders, you get to the end here, I think it's about verse 21, and they're like, hey man, we, we can't do anything to these guys because somebody, they did a miracle. We can't deny that. And somebody might think bad. If we do something bad about them, we might lose some of our power. They're self-focused, right? They don't want to lose their power, so they're worried about what other men are thinking. And, and Peter and John come along and they go, you know what, we, we're not going to obey men. We're going to obey God. We're going to continue to speak about the things that we have seen and heard. And i got to tell you, my, my gut feel is that this is the thing that probably keeps most of us from being more bold in our witness is that we're so focused on what somebody else might think about us that they might call us a Jesus freak or probably in this culture something a whole lot worse than that, right? That they're going to turn us away, that they're going to reject the gospel. See, the thing is, we're not responsible for their, their response. That's between them and God. There's nothing that any of us can do to talk somebody into the kingdom of God. The Bible's really clear. No one comes to Jesus except the Father draws him. So our only responsibility is to be that bold witness and then just leave the results to God. So we've seen this morning that we speak boldly about what we believe deeply. Those early disciples, they turned their whole culture upside down because they were willing to do that. See, in this passage, 5,000 just men, 5,000 men came to know Jesus that day because they were bold in their witness. 
And they continued to be bold in their witness. And, and thousands came to know Jesus Christ, and they began to have a tremendous impact on the culture around them because they were willing to be bold in their witness for Jesus. And I think secondly, because they understood the consequences. They understood that the souls of men and women and boys and girls hung in the balance. They understood that the eternal destiny of their family and their friends and their neighbors and their co-workers and the, and the people around them in their community, they were all hanging in the balance based on what they did with Jesus. So they, they, they were so confident in Jesus, they cared so much for other people that they couldn't help but be bold witnesses. And that's what we need to do. That's what the people that we need to be. So let me ask you a question this morning as we, get, as we get ready to close. And here's the question. Do you believe in Jesus so deeply and care for others so profoundly that you are bold in your witness for Him? I want you to think about that question and answer it honestly this morning. You know, you can't do that unless, first of all, you've put your faith in Jesus personally. This passage is not primarily about, about committing your life to Jesus Christ, but as you read through the passage, the gospel is presented there. And there may be some of you joining us this morning, either here in person or online, who have never committed your life to Jesus Christ. And as we do each week, we want to urge you to make that, that decision in your life. We want you to come to the place where you do believe the things that we talked about today, that Jesus is risen from the dead and that He's the only way to God. And if you believe those two things, you're, you're well on your way to becoming a disciple of Jesus. If you don't believe those two things, on the other hand, you very well may not be a genuine disciple because those are some pretty basic things, right? So if you've never done that, we want to urge you to do that this morning. Now, most of you have already made that decision. So what I want you to do this morning is to think about your life, to think about whether you really are a bold witness for Jesus. And I want you to think about the things that we've talked about this morning. Because if you're not as bold as you'd like to be, and I don't think any of us are as bold as we'd like to be, and I'm, I'm putting myself right in there with the rest of you on that one, then is it because I'm not spending enough time with Jesus? Is it because I'm not depending on the Holy Spirit? Is it because I'm afraid of what other people are going to think rather than what God's going to think? Is it because I'm not really certain about the things that are important, like that Jesus rose from the dead and that He's the only way to God? And in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity just to prayerfully consider those things. And I've given you a place in your, in your sermon outline this morning just to write down how God might want you to apply the things that you've learned this morning. You know, we, we often lament in our culture just how bad things are going. And how far people are turning away from God. And that's true. But there's hope. Because if we will be the same kind of bold witnesses that Peter and John were, we have the opportunity to impact our culture too and to turn our world upside down the same way that they did. Let's pray. Father, right now I just... I want to take just a few moments for people to just quietly consider the things 
that we've learned this morning, Father. Pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to their hearts right now. Father, I pray that as we're in prayer that your Holy Spirit would speak to our spirits. Give us the ears to hear, Father, the spiritual ears to hear. And then give us the heart to obey what you're revealing to us, Father. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to con-